You got me? Wonderful. Thank you. Well, here we are. How are we all? We had a good week? Yeah? Yeah, pretty good? Okay. So excuse me if I do use my tissue. It uh, has been a tough week. Okay, this series we're talking about God's dream, what God's desire, what God's dream is for each and every one of our lives. And God's original dream was for wholeness and wellness. You know, the Garden of Eden is a beautiful picture. That's what God's desire was, that we'd be whole, that we'd be well. We've been talking about God bringing us back to that place. And we've talked about the word sozo and shalom and and the word sozo is uh we often use that word as salvation or saved and uh reading a book by a guy called tom marshall he also brings out the thing of salvage salvation that salvage that is to to redeem to get something that has been lost and broken and bring it back salvage it and that's what god is doing in our lives in our family, we have um, an award. We do lots of awards. We um, generally yearly have an award for the person that's done the, the, the silliest, dumbest thing in that year. Um, I, I got it one year when I reversed the car off the concrete, um, what was it, um, concrete slab where the car parked, and I reversed the car off, but the slab was, you know, like this high off the ground and the wheel was hanging over, so that was my, you know, my award that year. So... The other award that we have in our family is the one that's broken the most bones. Anyone else have awards in their family for that one? Yeah? Well, our daughter's done it three times. So she takes the award. Steve's only broken his toe twice. All right? Don't ask about doing the same thing twice and getting the same break. Um, But Chloe's broken her arm three times. The first time, we remember very clearly, because it was the 31st of December, 1999. And one of her brothers, who shall remain nameless, shoved her off a uh, retaining wall and she fell and hit the arm. And right down to emergency, where you always want to be on New Year's Eve, to, you know, before the year 2000, and we were in Sydney, you know, it's like, oh my God, there we were in emergency. And sure enough, she had a green stick fracture. Thankfully, she was a little green stick fracture, not too bad. A little, little later on, I don't know, about another year, maybe even only six months, she was riding a pony and she slipped or whoever's helping her get down dropped her and she fell on her elbow. And she's, you know, oh, my arm hurts. And of course she could move her arm and, you know, it was all right. And we um, travelled two hours home. We put the child to bed, you know, being the nurse that I am. We did all those things. And sure enough, at about, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning, my arm hurts, off to emergency. And sure enough, she'd broken her arm. But it was up here. So, you know, it wasn't displaced, but there was, sure enough, a break up there in hospital or drama, drama. Anyway, about, I don't know, 12 12 months, 18 months later, her and Alex are in the shopping centre and they see a teacher from the school and Alex, being the gentleman that he is, shoves his sister aside because he wants to get to her first and sure enough, down she goes and crack. And she comes up to me and she goes, Mum, I broke my arm again. I said, oh, don't be ridiculous. How can you have broken your arm again? Trust me, Mum, my arm is broken. Being the compassionate nurse that I am, well, you'll just have to wait till I finish the shopping. We'll go home and then we'll have a look at it. <laughs> and sure enough, got home. I'm still not hurting. I'm telling your mum, my arm's broken. If she was here, she'd be smirking at me. Um, and sure enough, into the hospital. Yep, she'd done it again. Same place, same arm, cracked right up the top here. So the reality is that, 
you know, we know when our bodies are, are broken. We experience pain, we have discomfort, something's out of place. We know it and we know, you know, the process of going through the healing. We go to the hospital, we get x-rayed. I've been seeing a few of those hospitals recently, know what they're like. But what about the fact that we are not just a physical body, but we are emotional people. We are people that have emotions. Trust me, if I cry, you will know we have emotions. You've got to love them. You know what I mean? And, and those emotions do all sorts of things to us. There's fear, there's anxiety, there's anger, there's frustration, there's depression. You know, there's this sort of sense of being overwhelmed, you know? But then there's also the joy and, and the fun and the delight and the excitement. There's all those emotions. We're emotional beings. Also, we are thinking people. You know, we've got, we've got, we have thoughts. And they say that there can be between, I don't know, 80,000 to 120,000 thoughts in a day. And you've got to wonder with those thoughts, the percentage of them that might be positive and the percentage that might be negative or the percentage that are totally useless altogether. <laughs> got a few of those that happen, I don't know about you. You know what, the, our minds and our emotions are interlinked and they make up what we classify as the soul, our, that inner part of who we are. And our soul can be broken. And our soul needs healing just as much as our physical body does. And it can be accidental, like, you know, all, it's just life. Life can overwhelm us. And our soul needs to be strengthened to be able to get us through life and to make us um, those kind of healthy, whole people. And God is in the business of salvaging us and making us whole. Tom Marshall, in his book, Healing from the Inside Out, says that, have we got that up there? Emotions are physical motors. Emotus from the Latin, mover, to move. They move us or we are moved by them to action or reaction. The mind has a very important part to play in our emotional responses. I heard that um, Jackie did a really good job last week. Did you guys enjoy Jackie? Uh, yeah, yeah, she's great, isn't she? I know um, Lorna, our daughter-in-law, was saying that she used some of that stuff during the week with her daughter, Kiri, with our granddaughter, talking to her about some of the things that Jackie used. It's wonderful to get tools like that that you can use in your week. So this, this week, I want to talk about the healing process and... I want you to understand that it is a journey, just like a broken bone takes time to heal, so too does our soul. It is a journey, it is a process. And I'm going to use Psalm 23 as my template. And uh, there's a, a book that, um, that I read many years ago that really I've never forgotten. It was a great illustration. It was a guy, by a guy who was a shepherd, or is a shepherd. Um, he wrote the book in the 70s, and um, he brings out some really interesting facts about sheep that I didn't understand. So hopefully this will be something that you also can hold on to and remember as you go through. So how does God restore our souls? How does that happen? Very first thing um, that David picks up in this psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will have everything that I need. Do you know that to be able to be whole, we kind of need an anchor for our soul, for our emotions. We need something that stabilises us. And the first thing is knowing that we have a good shepherd, that God is good. I think that probably is one of my mantras when I'm struggling, when things are really hitting me hard. I always go back to that, God is good. He's a good God. 
He's got good things for me. He is a good shepherd. John 10, uh, 11 to 14. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run if he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. In 1 Peter 2.25, it says, Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, your pastor. I want to tell you that, uh, I don't know if you've realised this yet, but you know the, um, the, the senior minister in a church, the pastoral team of a church, are not going to be always available, capable, wise enough for any situation that you might face. They are fallible. They do make mistakes. They do you know, struggle, and you need something more than that, you know, and God is our good shepherd, you know. Our leaders should be ones that, that um, follow that example, and, um, but you know what, we need the good shepherd. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the pastor, the guy that, that looks after and guards you, the guardian, the overseer who sees over your life, have we got that scripture up there? Of your souls, yeah. It's a, there's a lot more in that. I'm, sorry, I'm just getting a, running away with my thoughts on some of the other things there. Um, what's been happening in my week? Um, I'm sure most of you are aware, but um, just as we moved down to the peninsula in November, I lost my sister. Uh, she died suddenly after some surgery. And um, at the beginning of February, uh, actually um, Nathaniel's birthday, the 9th of February, uh, my other sister, um, who was based in Darwin, rang me to say that my niece um, had leukaemia. A week later, um, that sister, um, they flew from Darwin to Sydney for treatment for her, and a week later, that sister was in hospital for investigation of cancer. And um, it, it has been confirmed, but yet there, there's still a whole bunch of stuff there. And while I was going, while I was sitting at my desk having, processing the fact that my niece has leukaemia and then suddenly my brother calls to say, hey, it's not good with Sue. And I was, you know, losing the plot big time and ringing my husband and crying and all of that, as you can see. I had a lady that I knew um, and I studied with her. I've never met her face to face. We studied at Eastern College together and we did some assignments together and we'd ring one another. Um, she texts me and this is her text on the day probably about an hour after I found out about my sister. This week, my prayer for you is that you will never lose sight of who and whose you are. He will sustain you through every trial and rejoice over you with singing. How profound. She had no idea, absolutely no idea. She actually sent me a text very similar to that after I'd lost my sister, and she didn't know. She didn't know my sister had gone. And I want to tell you that as I sat at that desk and I read that text, I, I sent it to the family to say, I, 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 that something happened in my soul. I suddenly was reminded that God was there for me, that he, he had not abandoned me. He was there and it was going to be okay. And I tell you what, that, that, I needed that anchor because my emotions were, they were having a holiday. Um, 
It is so important to know that the Lord is my shepherd. I will have everything that I need. The second uh, verse is, says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and I, I mean, I've, I've sung it since I was little, and I'm sure most of you have as well. And you go, so? <laughs> like, really? Makes me lie down in green pastures. What, you know, what does that really mean? Why is that an issue for sheep? I want to tell you that sheep won't lie down unless they're completely free of all fear and um, anything, any anxiety, any things that are going on around about them. They cannot lie down without being free from those things. They need to be in a fear-free environment. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There are two things that this scripture brings out. One is to pray, be prayerful. And the second thing is, is to be grateful, to be thankful. You know, it's really... I was talking to someone at a funeral on Friday and I was just telling, updating them what, what, had, what was happening with my family. And she said, you know, what do people do who don't know God? Who do they go to? Where do they turn? You know, I said, I've actually always said the same thing. I've got no idea. I don't know how people cope without that person that we can go to, that we can sit and we can pour out our, our worries and our burdens on. And we can, we can sort of, you know, drop the bundle onto them. And, you know, when things are overwhelming you, go to prayer. Go to prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the other thing to be is to be thankful and to be grateful. You know, I know when things are overwhelming me, particularly with my sister uh, Myra, and I, and I know many of you have probably lost siblings and parents and children, and it's, it does overwhelm you. I really fight that by being grateful for what we have had not being upset about what I won't have. Do you understand that? I get grateful and thankful for what I have had. I'm grateful that we were close, that we holidayed together, that, you know, that she taught me many things, that we made the most of our time, even though we lived in different cities. What I choose not to do is go into that place of getting upset about what I won't have. I won't be able to see her again. I won't have time with her in the future. I refuse to go down that path because I know that isn't a good place and it, it spirals down into a very dark place. And so, you know, be prayerful and be grateful. Be grateful for what you have. Don't be upset about or angry or you know, overwhelmed by what you don't have, but be grateful for what you do have. Okay, next verse. He leads me beside still waters. So again, sheep, being the skittish creatures that they are, a lot like ourselves, they actually cannot drink when it's noisy. So they won't drink at a waterfall. They, you know, if there's lots of noise going on, they can't drink. So what, what they need is a quiet, peaceful place where they can actually drink. We all need to find some space and some time for peace and quiet. I think for my life that I often um, 
am afraid of being alone with God. I'm afraid of what he might say. Um, I'm afraid of, you know, the vulnerability of being honest about where I'm at. And so often I will run from that. And busyness is one of the classic things that I run to. But, you know, the reality is that all of that busyness does not help me, does not feed me, does not strengthen me, does not refresh me. But it's actually those quiet times, that space alone, just to sit. And again, going back to trusting that God is a good God, he's a good shepherd, he cares for me. He's for me, he's not against me. Where is that place for you? You know, scripture says, my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice. Let us find that space. Find that space where you can hear that still, small voice. Okay, he restores my soul. Again, this is an interesting um, scripture when it talks about sheep. You know, what, what on earth is it about, you know, with the analogy with sheep about restoring of the soul, what, what does that mean? And Philip Keller brings out the point that uh, sheep do this thing that they will um, settle down once they've kind of bit fed, they don't fear anything, they're quite comfortable, they've had a nice drink. What they'll do is they'll kind of um, settle on the ground and they'll wriggle um, until they kind of get comfortable. But if there's a dip in the ground, what happens is the sheep will actually uh, roll onto its back and it has its legs straight up in the air and it's called to be cast. That's what it means. That's the word that is used... Um, to regard a sheep that's kind of gotten itself on its back, legs up in the air. And, I mean, I'm sure you know that term from, from David uses that term to be cast down. But the problem is for a sheep to be cast, it actually can't get itself back up again. So if a sheep stays like that, they actually will die. So when um, David is writing about restoring the soul, he's talking about those times when we get ourselves into such a state where we're just stuck. We just can't get ourselves back up again. You know, we get so overwhelmed with everything. And so in Psalm 42, verse 11, David says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Why are you stuck in this place? Why are you in a place where you're basically immobilised, you can't do anything? You've got to put your hope in God. David is saying that, you know, we've actually got to, we, we have got to come along and go, right, that's it. I've had enough of being stuck in this place. Hope is about the positive expectation of good. The positive expectation or the anticipation of good. And we've got to go, you know what? Going back to that mantra, God is good. He's got good things in store for me. David is reminding himself when he's in that place. Come on, soul. Come on, emotions. You know, come on, your thought. Where are my thoughts going? How negative? How many of that percentage of my thoughts that I, how many of them are going into the negative space? How many are going down that road? I'm stuck. And he says, I want to restore your soul. God is there. He wants to put us back on our feet. But we've actually got to be, uh, what's the word, participators in that. We've actually got to take hold of these thoughts. We've got to change the way that we're thinking, you know, renewing of the mind. And we've actually got to, you know, grab hold of our hope and put it in God again. We've got to find that space again. Sorry about that. Doing too well with this mic. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Another interesting thing about sheep is that they will always stick to the same path. Um, 
the shepherds say that if you allow the sheep, they will just keep walking in the same direction, they'll actually form a rut. And they will eat the same pasture until it's basically a desert. They do not think about going beyond that area where they are. They just love the habit. Who is sitting in the same seat they always sit in? I see that hand. Oh, I see that hand. And mate, we're all like that, aren't we? God, are we like sheep? Aren't we like... And the analogy is just wonderful. And you know, and that's okay. We all need those things that are familiar to kind of build in that sort of sense of security and, you know, and comfort and all that kind of thing. But we also need to be stretched and challenged. And I think that's the thing that I... One of the things that I really love about um, Steve is he's always stretched and challenged me. He's never allowed me to get comfortable in my rut. I, I don't like change. Anybody else not like change? I'm an introvert. I like things to stay identical and always the same. But you know what? He's challenged me. Um, he always wants to do, mix things up a little bit and stretch us. So it's really important that we are always opening our eyes and our hearts to learn new things. I hate to tell you, but your theology is not yet perfect. You haven't quite got it all right yet. There is still some things to learn and know and understand that you've never thought of before. There are still new revelations to come. There are still things in your life, habits and patterns and things that are not the way they should be. And you've got to be open to learning and to growing and thinking about where you're getting that from. I had to do an assignment um, when I was studying and they asked, you know, you know, something about it. To me, my study was a way of stretching me, reading people I wouldn't normally read, you know, forcing me to sit down and write an assignment. Oh, but you know what? That was so good because it challenged me to read articles and, and read books and investigate things that I wouldn't normally do. What are you doing? What are you doing so that you're not getting stuck in that rut, so that you're not feeding on that same, same you know, um, grass, you know, that same material? that it's becoming, a de- it's dry, it's barren. You need to actually broaden and be open to being stretched and challenged. His staff and his rod, they comfort me. Oh. The rod is the instrument of correction. And uh, I don't think any of us like the rod. I, I, I think we're all a bit, bit mad if we do like the rod. Um, You know, by nature, we are all stubborn and self-willed and there are times when we need to be corrected and rebuked. And there is always an ouch factor. There's always a moment where we react. We do not like to be corrected. We do not like to be told that we're wrong. Um, I had one of those this morning. It's not pleasant. It's not a nice feeling. But we all need it because that's actually what helps us grow into being whole people and to being better people. In the book, um, Philip talks about the rogue sheep. And this is a sheep that's decided that it's going to wander off on its own. Now, the fact that a sheep wanders off on its own, goes into dangerous places and does uh, dangerous things is not a problem, but the, the issue is that sheep are a flock animal and they will just follow the leader. You know, one of the sheep starts striking out, the others go, oh, it must be time to move, and they all just follow. They don't think, they just follow. And so what a shepherd will do with the rogue sheep, one that keeps doing this, is that he will bring him in for correction, and uh, he will, you know, do something to try and change the behaviour of the sheep. But if that hasn't worked multiple times, 
They've tried to correct the behaviour of the sheep. What the shepherd would do is he would pick up his staff, his rod, and he would break the leg of the sheep. He would hit the sheep's leg with the rod and it would do a clean break, a bit like Chloe, you know, doom, down on the arm. Clean break. And then what he would do is he would carry the sheep over his shoulder. Now, we've all seen the picture of Jesus, the shepherd with the sheep over his shoulder. And he would carry the sheep with him so the sheep would get to know the shepherd's voice and be with him and be intimate and perhaps know the shepherd's heart. So the the correction, the rebuke, the, the breaking of the leg was not to destroy the sheep but was to actually help that sheep stay safe, you know. It's, uh, I think, probably, for me, one of the hardest ones um, for all of us to go through. When I was in my early 20s, I, um, I was full of a lot of self-pity and rejection. I was quite an insecure uh, when I was younger. And I had uh, a girl that I worked with, and uh, one day she'd obviously had enough of me and my attitude and the way I was carrying on. And she rebuked me quite solidly. Uh, she was very blunt. She was very uh, to the point. And it felt like a bucket of cold water had been poured on me. And uh, even 20 years later, she's still apologising for the rebuke. And I keep telling her, you know what? It was the best thing you could have done for me. It actually snapped me out of where I was and forced me to sit down and look and go, you know what? I actually can't keep going on the way I am. Something's got to change. And as a result of that, I actually went for some prayer counselling and I got some healing for the issues that were really working, going on on the inside of me. And I have to say, if she had not have been bold enough to, re- to rebuke me, to bring correction, you know, it would have taken a lot more years and probably a lot more strained relationships and a lot more difficulties perhaps before I faced that reality. Can I encourage you, do not receive a rebuke as something to break you, but something to make you. You know, something to, you know, bring about that healing that you need. The other end of the rod is the, 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 you know, it's got the crook on it. And uh, this is what the, the shepherd uses to rescue those sheep that get stuck in the stream or in a thorny bush. They'll lean in and they use that, that, that crook to kind of rescue. Um, the reality is that we actually need other people near us. We need people close. We need to be vulnerable and open up and allow people near us so they can reach out and help us when we're in need, when we're stuck. We can't do this on our own. James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that word for healed is? Very good, 10 points, well done. You know, there's healing in the sharing. Confess your faults one to another. There is, bring stuff out in the light. You know, stuff in your mind that, you know, they're, they're hidden, they're dark. You know, going around in your head there, they become bigger than Ben-Hur. You know, they just go round and round and round. Confess your faults one to another. Open up, be vulnerable, share with someone that you might be healed. There is, there is healing in that sharing. And lastly, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's always one of those ones, isn't it? Ooh. But you know what? There is this sense, you know, in the early years of my Christianity, I kind of thought that um, being a Christian meant that everything was going to be fine. I was going to have an easy life. God was with me. He was going to wave his magic wand and there wouldn't be any problems. Maybe I was guilty of that theology. 
Is that the old been shattered yet? Because if it hasn't, I'll do it for you, you know? Um, you know, that's what, we, that's what I thought. You know, it's, you know, sort of early 20s and, and kind of not really fully grasping what Christianity was all about, but that's kind of what I thought. But what David's saying is that in the midst of my enemies, in the midst of my troubles and my difficulties, I'm actually going to be able to sit. I'm actually going to be able to sit and I'm going to be able to eat. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by these things. The reality is for us to develop and grow mentally and emotionally, we need adversity. Resistance causes strength. We build physical muscle by pushing against pressure. The same is true with mental and emotional well-being. We are strengthened by pressure. You know, that verse that says God's not going to give us um, more than what we can cope with. That's not the right wording, but you understand what I mean. You know, that sort of, and I know I often do think about that when I'm feeling overwhelmed and going, all right, God, it's okay. In you, there's, I've got strength. In you, I've got hope. In you, I've got the capacity to go through this time. You know, and it's actually a really good thing to strengthen. We often, um, Steve and I use the illustration that um, in our relationship, you know, there'd be this sort of sense of um, strengthening. So we'd, we'd go through a season where you felt like everything was happening, but what we felt came out of that was there's actually a real strengthening of our relationship. We were stronger as a couple, as a family, having gone through those adversities. And then time would go on and you'd think, oh, good, that's it, we've attained it, and suddenly another whole bunch of things would come. And you suddenly go, ah, oh, it's another one of those strengthening times, another one of those times where, you know, God is strengthening this relationship to be able to carry a greater load, you know, to be able to, to carry more than what we'd previously been able to carry. And that's what's taking place. Being in relationship with God does not remove things from us, but rather his healing and his presence enables us to sit comfortably with those things that are against us. I can't change what my family's facing right now. I can do nothing. I am powerless other than being there for them and praying for them and supporting them as we process through this journey. But you know what? In the midst of that, I can sit comfortably knowing that God is still a good God even in the midst of these circumstances and believe that God has good things for myself and for my family. We are going to share communion together. So if the um, helpers could please um, bring up the, the elements and distribute them. And what I would like you to do um, for communion is I'd like you to find someone nearby you. If you're not sitting with someone, then please um, perhaps move. And, uh, you know, if, if that's a bit scary for you, I understand. I understand it's a bit scary. But what I'd like us to do is actually share communion together. There is value in sharing. And I'd like us to pray for one another. Please distribute, please. Um, I'd like us to pray for one another and share the elements together. You're not alone. We all need somebody. We cannot survive as an island. Perhaps you'd like to share something that's um, a difficulty that you're going through or perhaps you would just like to be grateful and thankful for what is going on in your life. But please, if you could take a moment and feel free just to talk to one another, share and pray for one another. And the reality is that the, the bread and the wine, this is our hope. Our good shepherd who laid down his life for us so that we would have someone that we could come to that we would have someone that we could cry out to, that we would have someone 
who would make us whole. So please, take a time. And while you're waiting, you feel free to start talking and praying and sharing with one another while you're waiting for the elements.